Hello and welcome to the Creative Lotus Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Zaki. Hello, Creative Lotus family. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. On this week's episode, we have amazing actress Keiko Elizabeth. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. It's so great to see you. I know we had amazing time photographing you uh, a few months ago, and now we're back here having this awesome time uh, being able to talk with you. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Keiko, I know that I, you know, have read and kind of know your history and past, but I'd love to know for our viewers or listeners, I should say, uh, kind of what is uh, your background and like, where were you born and raised, kind of your childhood growing up and then ultimately coming to Los Angeles? (sighs) You know, when you get to be a certain age, there's like so much back there that I'm like, where do I start? How much time do you have? Um, but I was born and raised, um, in Northern California in Sacramento and then, um, went to school just outside Sacramento. And, um, my dad is Japanese Mm -hmm. and my mom identifies basically as Caucasian. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I went to college in the Bay area. I went to Stanford. I thought I was going to be a doctor which is what one does here, <laughs> you know, come from a more Asian culture family. Absolutely. And then I was actually a teacher for several years. I never was in the arts growing up. It just wasn't, I don't know if it was geographically like Sacramento, you're from Sacramento too. It was mm-hmm. kind of at the time felt like this sort of cultural vacuum. Right. <laughs> right. In a way it's different now, but, um, I just didn't have a lot of exposure to that growing up or a lot of role models in artistic fields. And so um, after I'd been teaching for a little bit, I was working with kids coming out of juvenile hall. And um, so one of my students, when I was working with her, her older brother was shot and killed in a drive-by shooting in San Francisco. I was Mm. working in San Francisco at the time. And so we helped her write up and produce a play about his life and death. Wow. And it was this really just a really powerful experience. And I remember we, um, you know, we hired professional actors. It was a mix of actors and my students. And there was probably like three or 400 people in the audience. And I was just like standing at the back watching these actors, like bring this story to life in a way that was so powerful for, um, my student and for the community. And I was just like, that's what I want to do. And I of course had no idea how to do that or like what, to do. Um, but that was sort of the moment when I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. Hmm. That's incredible. And then from that, obviously you kind of, how long, I guess, was that process from like Northern California and working on this piece to then coming and kind of getting into your own, uh, creative field for yourself, if you will, as an actor. Yeah. Probably two years later, I, um, was actually living in, in Hawaii on the big island of Hawaii. Wow. And I, um, auditioned for this play mm. and it was like in this big art deco, like sort of historical theater on the big island. And I would show up for rehearsal and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever done ever in my life. And I was just completely smitten. And so I applied for, um, oops, I'm sorry. Let me turn off my finger. <laughs> <laughs> so I applied um, immediately to grad school because that's what that's what I, we do when yes. we want to know how to do something, but you don't always know. Like school is sort of the best avenue, the way that I know. 
And, um, and I got into my first choice and that was kind of the beginning of that journey. I had my, um, actually what happened was I, um, I got pregnant just before I went to grad school and, um, and I was like, that's probably going to be fine. Like babies don't really do anything. I mean, they just like (laughs) sit there. It's going to be totally fine. And so I showed up like eight months pregnant to grad school Wow. And, um, and it was tough. It was tougher than I thought it was going to be. But at the same time I would go to class and I was just like, man, like there is nothing that I would rather like leave my child to be doing and learning. And so I just felt like really lucky. Yeah. That's amazing. What was it like being on the, well, you said you were on the big Island and then you kind of got into this, but then you went to grad school here in the state side or. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, I went to Cal State Fullerton, which is just outside of Los Angeles. Nice. Um, of course, I told everyone I was like moving to LA, but yeah. <laughs> um, once you kind of get down here, you learn Orange County is not. Yeah, a separate thing. <laughs> <laughs> not yeah. quite LA. Yeah, a not little, quite oh, LA. a little different. That's amazing. A different, but close enough. You know, it was closer yeah. than Hawaii, certainly. No, absolutely. So, do you miss so, yeah. Hawaii at all? Um, sometimes we go back, we have a lot of friends there, family on Oahu. And so we go, um, every couple of years. Fantastic. Yeah. I consider Hawaii to be like a second home in the sense that it's just such a beautiful place to be, you know, and like the culture and everything. And I think because of like the Japanese roots and everything and that culture unto itself, um, myself also being Hapa, I think that also kind of, a lot of people think I'm local and I'm like, uh, not so much, but I'm like, if you want to give me the discount, I'll take it. <laughs> but, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. It was like the first time I looked around and I was like, oh my God, everyone like looks like me kind of like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's trippy. No, I love it. It's especially, I think definitely growing up in Northern California, you definitely kind of have like this perspective of the world. I don't know what it is. It's not like they're in a bubble, but it's kind of like you're in a bubble and it's completely different from that in Los Angeles. So for you, I mean, obviously you were, you know, at a different stage in your life and going, getting your master's and everything in Fullerton. But, um, you know, what was that like kind of the change of things, I guess, for you coming to Southern California? I mean, even just from like a basic life level, if you've ever like driven in Los Angeles, I remember my husband and I both, we were like used to driving on these like two lane big Island roads and we would get here and we were like, there's a double line for the carpool lane. Like, can I get over? Can I not get over? We're like freaking out. And like at the time when we moved here, there were like these billboards everywhere. I don't know if you remember this campaign. It was like 1-800-GET-THIN. Yes. Yes. And then you'd like hear on the radio, if you get a tummy tuck, we'll throw in a nose job for free. And we were like, oh my God. Yeah. Plastic. Where did we move? (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) What are we doing here? But, you know, then you just start to find community here and there's so many creative people here and this level of just, um, I don't know, just curiosity and innovation and dreaming and magic is really addictive. There's an addictive quality about it. Absolutely. 100%. I feel like that's what the the city really thrives on that creative energy and kind of like, I don't know, you can be inspired just by being in the city, which is amazing. Yeah. I love it. So kind of what, after getting your, your graduate's degree and everything, what kind of was your next steps here in LA? Yeah. I just, you know, I pounded the pavement the way that actors do. Like 
you get your tools up, you like get, get headshots, you get, you get repped, you try to like meet people and like do enough work so that now you have a reel that you can show people. And, um, you know, there's all these sort of like milestones along the way. And, and then you book your first TV job and then you book, you know, whatever. I always knew that I wanted to do television. Mm. Um, so that was what I really pursued over film. Absolutely. Did you ever have one of those, like, did you go out on any commercial kind of like auditions and stuff where it's like, I'm selling cheese today, or I'm, you know, doing these kind of random commercials, because I know that a lot of actors do kind of go that route. So I'm curious if you had to as well. Yeah, I, 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 there was a time my first year here, I, I was like, I will go out for anything. Yeah. Mostly because I wanted to get more comfortable, like in the room and in, in an audition room, even though everything is self tapes now. Right. But um, at the time, it was like it was a very specific thing, like right. to be able to go in and be completely comfortable in yourself, and um, it's 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 really different. So I just was like, I'll do, I'll go into any audition room you know, just for the experience. No, absolutely. I think it's great. It's funny. I kind of got into um, photographing for castings and it's really amazing just how many people's like how many people you see, but all the personalities, you know, and it, it, their auditions, you know, so it is similar in that way. And I think that, yeah, it really, I actually give a lot of praise to the actors because to go into a room, you have no clue who these people are. You either have your sides or you don't. And they're just like giving you a prompt to do, you know, and it's like, boom, you have this one take and go, you know, and yeah, to be able to bring. Yeah. That. Yeah, it is. It's its own, its own, it's its own thing that unless you actually experience it either from one side of the table or the other, it's really hard to imagine. But, you know, and the other thing with commercials is like, I remember like when I first got here and was like, oh my gosh, you're going to book commercials like crazy. You have such a commercial look. And I could not book a commercial to save my freaking life. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it was just like fate, you know, how like your, your path sometimes gets made for you. Right. But like, I, I just had a really hard time. <laughs> Nobody wanted to book me for commercials. I don't know why. Wow. That's yeah, that's crazy. But you made it and you are successful now and you've you've kept on going, which is like half the half the struggle and also half the determination. So that's incredible. Yeah. Um, so speaking of that, kind of if you can help uh, share, what are some personal struggles that you've had to go through that have really helped you to become like more creative and like keep you going? Okay. Um, yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is um, just the way in which um, as an actor, there's, you're in such a fishbowl. And so there's such a focus on, for me anyways, just my identity and just having to um, really let go of, you know, this is just who I am. And if you want me to be a certain, like more, like I can't be more or less Asian, let's say, right. um, that's sort of a, the moment that we're in right now and also be like, what's been mostly, um, my sort of that struggle between like how you identify how you feel inside and how people perceive you from the outside, just when there's like sort of either a conflict in that, or, um, I think like sometimes for mixed race people that can be, um, more of a struggle, especially in an, an industry like, Hollywood, where 
what you look like is such a big part of what we do. Right. It matters so much. Yeah. Yeah. And just um, really being able to free yourself from that, from being so of, of tying your worth to that mm, is right. like so important, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I think you touch on something that has obviously come to the fore in most recent, you know, kind of months in this year, uh, which is race and kind of like specifically like Asian American, you know, representation. And I know that you're a big advocate of that. So kind of, you know, how do you how do you navigate through that in Hollywood as an actor and really being able to, like you said, you can't change how Asian you are. It's not something that like, Oh, let me just slap this on and, you know, kind of go, but really just being like authentically who you are. And like you said, not getting tied to that title or representation that a casting director, you know, may see or say that you are. Yeah. I think that as we, um, as there are more, uh, diverse storytellers, more specific storytellers, like meaning people telling the stories that they know. And not that that's the only thing that people can tell, but just that there's more authenticity in who's telling which stories. We get more stories and um, more specific stories. And I think that that's, that's really good. And the other thing is like, like I'm not an expert. right? And so like <laughs> I can only show up like, with my own curiosity and my own questions and, um, with my own authenticity and, and just say, this is what I first thought, but now that I'm here, maybe I'm missing something or like maybe, you know, because there's all these questions around like, you know, can a Chinese person play a Japanese American? Right. Can a, you know, there's all of these in, in what is considered like appropriate, Right. feels like it's kind of changing all the time. I don't have the answers to all of those questions, but um, I'm certainly like open to having conversations about different ideas of things, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's interesting that you tap into that because I think that what is kind of the is it just like an Asian thing that we care so much about who is representing us? Or is it really seen by, you know, our Caucasian or white, I should say, and black counterparts and other cultures or Latinos. Like, I don't know. It is something that, you know, I see a Chinese actor representing someone who's supposed to be Japanese, right? In Japan. And you're kind of like, er, like, that's not right. Right. <laughs> right. But, right. Is that but then, like, just last week, I auditioned for the part of like an American who's like working with China, like, ostensibly the breakdown says Asian American, but like, right. I had to translate some lines into Chinese. And I was like, well, let me go to Google Translate. Like, you just do your best. Like, I'm not going to be like, well, since I'm not Chinese, I don't feel comfortable taking this, like, great part, which would be super fun to play. Like, I'm right. not going to say no to that opportunity. But at the same time, you know, there are – it's part of the challenge of what we do, I think. Right. So I think it's – I don't know. I, I think that what you're tapping into, though, is kind of like you said, the representation behind the scripts, though, I think is really what has to shift. And similarly, yeah, just like that of like the black community, right? Wanting more representation in Hollywood. It's kind of like it's not just the actors that you see on the screen, but it really is the writing and the people, the producers and the people putting these pieces together. And similar to that of like the Asian community, because if you're only writing scripts about the Chinese community, right, and there's nothing wrong with that. But then you have people that are Japanese and you're just casting them because, oh, you're Asian. You look enough like this character that I wrote. 
are you really getting to the heart of what we're talking about? And I, I, yes. Yeah. And the flip side of that too, is like the work that I do is very imagination based and very, you know, that's part of the fun of why people engage in creative pursuits to begin with is to be able to imagine things that are sort of beyond my own, you know, limited personal experience. There's a great um, quote by Kate Blanchett. She was talking about I'm going to mess it up, but it was like, I'll fight to the death for my right to play people that are not like me. Mm. Like that's part of the fun of it. Right. And so I feel like there's these two, um, ends of that question that are constantly in tension, which I think is, it should be. Yeah. And we're always trying to like navigate each particular project, each particular story, each particular role. Um, you know, we have to engage all of those questions. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, very well said. I think that it's definitely the fun of it, if you will, and the purpose of this acting, you know, is to be able to express and share other people's stories, you know. And so sometimes the politically correct kind of gets in the the way of just the creative and the fantasy of making, you know, television or film for that matter. So yeah, I definitely think that um more representation is great, but yeah, it really comes down to um it's such a collaboration, I guess, is the best way to kind of put that all together. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So being that you've been in so many different shows and have done so much in your career uh, thus far, you know, what do you consider your greatest strength uh, as an actor? Well, what I'm constantly trying to develop like daily is um, kind of what we touched on just a couple minutes ago, which is um, that that piece of empathy. Mm which really requires um, a very practiced imagination. Mm. So like if I'm get to go play the part of like a spy mm-hmm. or a, you know, a CIA operative who's working both sides, uh, like a double agent, that's right. what I'm looking for. Like I'm not a double agent in real life. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm or a mom. are you? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I am, Alan. Exactly. Maybe I am, but I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know that really requires uh, a space of empathy, and also like, which then requires imagination. So, like this, this could be me. This is me. Like for this particular space of time, right. and that's what I love so much about it. And that's where like the root of my interpretive talent, I think comes from. Amazing. I love that. Um, yeah, no, being, being in your own creative space and just really being able to kind of build character builds. I like hands down to you for doing that because that is such a difficult thing for me to kind of wrap my mind around. But that's also why I love working with actors because I think that your imagination is so fluid and so, you know, capable of doing those types of things. So that's amazing. There's like this great story that um, when Elizabeth Taylor was working on the movie with the horse, I can't remember the name of it, hmm. but she was like working with this famous British actor and he was like, and she had to like the horse dies and she had to, you know, have this really emotional moment. Mm-hmm. And he was like trying to give her tips like, you know, so just think of a moment in your own life, like when you've been really sad. And so she like took that in and then they had this, the scene with the horse and she was like amazing. And, and he was like, so what did you, what did you think of? Like, what did you, did you take my tip? And she was like, well, I just imagined that I was a little girl whose horse just died. Wow. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's it, right? Yeah, like yeah. That's yeah, it's exactly it. Yeah. Go go there fully and, yeah. and, and embrace that. Yeah. Absolutely. So speaking of your acting career and such, kind of when did you feel like you really like made it? I'm air quoting here for our our listeners, but was there a moment that you really felt like I've been working so hard for this specific project or this role or my creative, you know, juices are flowing that you really felt like now I've officially like made it in this industry? Oh God, I still don't feel like I've made it. I don't know if I ever will. That's a great, that's a great attitude to have though. Keep on seeking. Yeah, I'm always seeking the next thing. I mean, there are moments that I remember though, you know, like when I booked my first gig on TV Mm. and um, like this last job I just worked on, like I, um, or the first time I worked out of town Mm. and like the black suburban comes to your house to pick you up, to take you to the airport and you fly first class. Like I remember that. (laughs) And, uh, and then just working I don't know. There's, there's milestones, I guess, you know? No, absolutely. That totally makes sense. I think that those things that were quote unquote making it, like you said, the black suburban coming to pick you up, you flying first class, going across the country or wherever you're going for a project, you know, those are kind of like the milestones of making it. And so, yeah, I feel like, I feel like your attitude towards that though is not like, oh my God, like now I've done it and this is it. Like you're constantly kind of seeking to, to keep moving forward, which I, I love. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. 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 I don't know if that's just what that is. If that's just self doubt or if it's like, you know, a seeking spirit. I'm going to go with seeking spirit. Yeah. No, I love that. I love a seeking spirit. For you, do you feel like if you had one, say, an Emmy for your work on, you know, City on a Hill or any other project that you're doing or the documentary work that you've done, like, is that making it for you or is it just kind of another milestone for you to keep moving forward? <sighs> yeah. I mean, I think it would be both of those things. Like I would be like, shit, <laughs> I just won an Emmy. Yeah. <laughs> I've arrived. Got it. But then I'm not going to be like, okay, well, let me just do nothing now. Right. right. You know, there's still a, there's still a waking up the next day and like, what am I working on now? What kind of story do I want to be involved with now? And what's the next thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned that your mom, obviously. So how does that balance work for you as like an actor or actress, I should say? What do you prefer? Actually, I should just ask you that since we're, we're there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really get the whole, like everyone's an actor. Mm. I don't know. I, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Just say I'm a professional. One. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, but as an actress and also having, uh, you know, children, how do you kind of balance that? Because like you said, Hollywood is this constant, you know, moving machine, if you will. And you're kind of like jumping into that constantly, right? With auditions and taping and, you know, working on pieces. So how does that work for you? Um, yeah. I mean, there's like the logistical piece, which is, um, you know, auditions come with like not very much notice mm-hmm. and um, on an irregular schedule. So trying to figure out like childcare and like, you know, who's going to be taking the kid where and all of, all of those logistical pieces is like one part of it. And then there's also the like the energetic part of like separating yourself from this role mm. of mom is very like 
that's very close to my heart. And so then sometimes the work requires this separation. I often actually, Alan, don't play moms. It's mm. I can really rarely book mom roles. I don't know why. Wow. I don't know if I just like don't have the mom vibe or what, but um, so it's often energetically like needing separation um, in order to feel like I can inhabit this other space. I remember one time I, um, I had to take my kids to this audition for Grey's Anatomy <laughs> and they were like sitting in the audition room and my daughter was like really small and loud and there was like, I just could not focus. Like it was really hard for me to like sort of separate out and right. then just like go in and do my, it was just hard. Um, but it's also a really great um, motivator, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's important for me to model for my kids what it looks like to um, follow your passion and follow your dreams. Right. And what does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like your past um, of being a teacher kind of lends well to not only being a parent, but also kind of your role as an actor, just kind of that understanding, but also kind of like the educational aspect of it in in your acting, but also as kind of a mother? Yeah, I mean, I definitely like the big thing that I took from teaching to parenting mm -hmm. is like that. And even to acting, too, it's like you have to have this confidence standing mm -hmm. up in front of because I used to teach middle schoolers Boy. and like you have to have this confidence standing up there like just you expect them to listen to you. Right. And if you don't come with that, like no amount of like you guys sit down, listen, blah, 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 like no amount of that. Mm -hmm. is going to take the place of that presence and that and that expectation right that like i don't know if charisma is the right word but just like that presence in front of the class that you have to really cultivate and it takes it takes a little bit of time and it it's you know it just takes practice and so i think that's helped me a lot as a parent and as an actor too yeah. just like this is what i expect you to do right yeah. Now do it. <laughs> do it. <laughs> yeah. Listen to me and now do it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, being in Hollywood and, you know, you've been on quite a few recognizable shows, right? And, um, you know, being a woman in Hollywood, do you feel kind of like you're talking about, do you feel like you have to say like, now listen to me kind of like what I'm saying, you know, and, and kind of hold your presence um, in a room that may be primarily filled with men? Yeah. And that's, um, you know, that's been a learning curve too. Mm -hmm. like, um, growing up culturally, I don't know if, if you identify with this or not, but I really identified with, um, the belief that like, if you're really good, you like, don't have to toot your own horn. Right. That just there, that life is somehow this meritocracy where like the good, if you're quote unquote, like, you know, good, you'll rise to the top without having to like, tell people that you're good or without having to promote yourself really. Right. And that is just so not been my experience mm -hmm. in Hollywood. Yeah. Like that may be true, like in educational environments and, you know, fields that are more, I don't know, but in Hollywood, like you have to be able to, um, have that, about yeah. yourself. And yeah. so that was a learning curve for me too. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. I feel the same. I think that a lot of photographers, you know, try to use the term, oh, the work speaks for itself. And it's that very kind of attitude Uh of like, oh, I don't have to promote. I don't have to talk. It's just that good. And yeah, it's kind of, I've always seen it as kind of a delusional idea, but I will also say as a creative, I don't um, necessarily go to the first thing I go to is being the one who says, Oh, wow, I'm so great. I'm so wonderful. Look at my work. And, you know, it's really hard for me to self promote because I think also growing up in kind of, you know, a half Japanese family, it's definitely something you don't, you kind of like, you know, Oh, keep it all to yourself. Right. It's very much yes. like we're doing what we do and we do it well, but we don't shout and say like, look at me, look at me. Yeah. You know, yes. it's very much like, shut up and kind of like keep doing good work and and it will pay off, you know? So it was the opposite, you know, and coming to Hollywood and having to be the one that's like, you have to toot your own horn and you have to let people know about your work and what you're doing. Yeah. And you have to also be really good. You have to do both. Exactly. Yes. hundred (laughs) percent. Absolutely. Um, Did you grow up in a household that was very kind of strict and very kind of regimented in the sense of your education, but also um, just kind of like the merit, like you're talking about being really good at what you do? Yeah, I would say for sure. I did. Yeah. My dad um, was born in the U.S., but he grew up in Japan. Mm. And um, so he has a lot of, you know, that very traditional feel. Right. And I was, I'm the oldest. I have one younger brother. So I feel like the first one kind of going through gets like the real rigid, you know, strict. Yeah. Beat down training. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I would, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Definitely. Well, speaking about family, um, growing up, you know, were you really close with the family or has it been kind of, um, you know, something that's grown over time? With my family? Yeah, with your family. Sorry. You know, it's family is so complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, we were really close when I was growing up and I was really close with my both of my parents, but my dad, especially in um my dad had two sisters and so we were really close to his sisters. They were like my only aunts cause my mom's family, her brother lived far away. And so like my cousins were all on that side of the family. So. Got it. Yeah. I know that my, it's funny cause my mom is, um, one of five children. And so, and my mom is the Japanese side. Um, and so growing up, it was very much her family oriented because my dad had no siblings. And Mm -hmm. so it was, you know, all the aunts and uncle, you know, were all kind of like very family based. And I know that, you know, kind of reading your story and history that uh, your father was um, in the internment camps in the Japanese uh, internment camps during the war. Is that correct? Yeah, he was born. He was born in in the camps in Tule Lake, which is the, um, I think there was nine, nine, official camps. And Mm -hmm. then Tule Lake was eventually turned into what they call the segregation center. Mm -hmm. And it was very militarized. And that's where they sent all of the people who weren't, they didn't have enough. They weren't like spies, but they felt like they were quote unquote disloyal. Mm -hmm. And so, um, my grandparents eventually, they started off, uh, at the beginning of the war in Topaz and then they were transferred to Tule Lake. And then my dad was born there. Wow. Yeah. So similarly, my 
my grandparents were they're so they're from Lodi. They're like, and that's where my mom was born and raised. But my uncle, who has since passed away, um, and my two aunts, who are the oldest, they were all taken to the internment camps. And I don't, I think it was in Arkansas. It wasn't at Tule Lake. Um, but it's interesting because like similarly, you know, talking a minute ago about this idea that like, oh, let's just like not talk about it and it will kind of just disappear has been kind of the attitude in my family. But I'm like, so my mother's son that I'm like, let's crack this open and just go deep. Let's just, I want to fill every single source and find out what's going on. But you know, it's, it's unfortunate because I feel like a lot of the Japanese Americans and especially as kids who are now, you know, still alive are, um, you know, it's not something they really want to share because it's a very painful past, you know, and America hasn't really fully, you know, it was not that long ago, first and foremost, let's put that out there, but really kind of dealt with the traumas and what it meant to be, you know, imprisoned in your own country just for the sake of being, you know, ethnically who you are. And so I know that you had mentioned before this that you're kind of working on a documentary um, that kind of talks to this, if you want to share any about that. Yeah, it's a little bit in flux. We were supposed to go, we were supposed to shoot in Japan in November of last year. Mm. And then COVID happened and like we didn't go. And so I'm like, um, I am just working with the footage that we have right now. So um, my I'm named after my grandmother, mm. my dad's mom. And she died in Japan um, 16 years. The last time my dad saw her was 16 years to the day before I was born. Oh, wow. And my dad's younger sister used to tell me, she would say, you know, I feel like you're the reincarnation of my mother. Mm. And it was this sweet, but also like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Weird. Um, but I've always felt a really strong connection with her for some of those reasons. And, um, so in 2017, um, okay, well, we'll just get really heavy for a second. Mm. In 2017, my, um, my cousin's husband killed himself. He Mm. shot himself in the head while she was picking up their son from Taekwondo. And in the wake of his suicide, all this information like started cause you know, nobody talks about anything. Right. All this information started coming out that like my grandmother had committed suicide also, wow. even though the story that we'd been told for our whole lives was that, you know, she was really tired one day and she laid down to take a nap and you know, the heater, because all the heaters were in Japan um, run by gas right. and the tube popped off the heater on accident and she died of carbon monoxide inhalation. It was such a tragedy. Mm. And so, um, so like I started to feel, um, like I wanted, like you said, I want to like get in there and like, know what really happened. It felt felt really important to me as her namesake and as her, you know, just, um, knowing her story, I felt that she had this piece of her life that was untold. And I wanted to, I felt it was my mission to sort of know the truth about that. And so, um, I, I started by taking my dad and my aunt um, back to Tule Lake where they were born. Mm. I had just felt like I that was a starting point of so much of of her trauma in her life. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to start there. And like also I feel like that's where her babies were like when I had I have two kids and like mm. that experience is very like the veil fairy feels very thin mm. at that moment. And so I felt like I just wanted to go there. Right and feel her. 
Um, so we did that and that's part, the part of the film that we're kind of cutting right now. Amazing. Um, and you know, it's just, it's interesting. Family is interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. So I don't know if we'll find the truth of what happened. Um, sometimes you just can't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Cause my uncle, it's so funny. Similarly. So my biological uncle, he passed away. It's actually been quite some time now. I want to say like over 10 plus years, but he, what I understood and was told that he was actually born in the internment camps because he's the, the third child. But my aunt on a recent trip to Palm Springs, we were like sitting around and drinking wine and talking. And she's like, no, he wasn't. He was already born. And he was like taken there with them. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I, you know, so it's kind of like that same thing, right? Is that like finding out what the truth is or what like is really happening or what's been interpreted specifically about these issues, I think is really kind of, it's, it's necessary, but it's also very difficult to kind of get there, I think, with a lot of people. And especially like you said, family is so intricate and deep that it is hard to like tap into that always, you know? And I thought it was just going to be actually like not that hard because I'm like, well, I just want to know. But I mean, I literally had this whole conversation with my aunt where she was like, I actually don't think we need to know. And I was like, what? She was like, what would it change anything? Like it wouldn't change anything. So what's the point of like digging it up? What's the point of like going back? And like, I just don't, I just don't agree. Right. Right. (laughs) But it's just different, you know, it's different ways of looking at the world. Right. Do you feel like, this is like (laughs) such a funny question. Do you feel like it's because we are like Hapa, but also American that that idea of kind of like needing to know and wanting to discover your history and your past as a family or like the lineage is necessary because I do see very similarities in like Japanese culture in general, right? It's like, oh, like we don't need to know that. It's fine. Like just let it go. Like, you know, like. Da, 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 da. No, no, no. We're good. You know, we're moving forward. And it's kind of like, but that's like a real big thing that just happened. So I'm yeah. curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. And I think that there I wonder if it's like generational too, mm. you know, like there's ways in which like that, um because the film is like it's about transgenerational trauma. And I do think there's a way that that sort of like stays, but then it also changes. Mm-hmm. And so the way that I experience that is different, obviously. Um, and so the questions that I have are different, but it is the drive to know is part of what is is the part of that that's still present, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Right. So. Yeah, I think it's also just maybe an artistic temperament too, like the artistic curiosity. Yeah. Like my brother doesn't care. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, got it. Yeah. No, I mean, and I think that because we're storytellers just in general as when creatives, I think that that, that definitely has to do with it. It's kind of like, but I want to know, like, what is my, what is my history? What is my story? What is my lineage? And how does that, you know, how does that then relate to where I'm at now? Like you're talking about like this generational thing. So, and it definitely changes for sure. Cause my mom is the youngest of the five and is like, she is. Oh yeah. She's, she's hysterical too. And she was like the loudest, the most like outgoing, the most, you know, charismatic of the bunch. And it's kind of like, Oh, yep. That's Jean. You know, it's just kind of her thing. And so I think that, 
I've actually had to really push her to kind of tell me more or to tell me what's going on. Cause similarly, it was kind of like, um, you know, stories about the family or her sisters and, um, you know, their husbands or like even our parents or her, her parents rather, um, have definitely been something to kind of like slowly chip away at but not necessarily just kind of told, you know, it's not something that you just like air. So yeah. And I would have loved to have been able to, you know, speak to my uncle about it. I know my aunts are like not having it. You know, they're like, I think my mom said like, she's tried to talk to them about it. And they're like, no, 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 we're not talking. So I'm like, but you like experienced this. This is like, you know, a national like thing that happened, like, please. And yeah, it's, they're not about it. So yeah, yeah, I know. And I remember like, just as a child being like, I don't understand the shame around it. I like fundamentally didn't. I was like, you didn't do anything wrong. Right. Like, why is there such a bad feeling around it? I had a really hard time as a child understanding that. And I think as I've gotten older, um, I really, I understand it a lot better. Mm. Just the complexity of like having the spotlight, like having people think that you did something that you didn't do Mm. and then not speaking up about it. And then like, it's very complicated, the shame. And so it's like, it's also confusing. And so you don't know how to talk about it. Right. Right. And your father and your aunt are still alive. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that's amazing. Are they, so you're still obviously in the process of kind of figuring out like what the next steps are because of COVID-19, I'm sure, you know, and travel and Japan, obviously now hosting the Olympics and all of that cray cray that went around that, but you're still wanting to keep filming and keep going with it and plan to go back to Japan. Yeah. So, um, I'm editing the footage that we took from the Tule Lake trip, mm-hmm. um, into a short Oh, amazing! and then, um, the short, hopefully if we're able to eventually shoot in Japan either next year or cause my dad's also like old, like I don't, there's, I want to be sure it's totally safe before right. we go. Right. Um, then we can, we can expand it into a feature, but yeah. Amazing. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I think it's really interesting cause this, you know, uprising or I should say really just knowledge within like the community about like Asian hate and you know everything that's it's really kind of opened the eyes of so many more people that this has actually been happening for you know years and it's not just because of COVID you know with the Chinese attacks and everything that's kind of happened but across the board um but yeah I think that's incredible that you're you're putting together this you know short that you know hopefully will become a feature I can't wait to to watch it myself because I do feel like you know Japanese culture, from what I, this is just my opinion, um, really as beautiful and as incredible as it is, it's extremely difficult to fully understand because I feel like a not a lot of it is shared as well, if that makes sense. And so being able to tell those stories, and especially when it is like a Japanese American story is really necessary, you know, it's, it's not something that's just like in an archive at like, you know, a museum, but like, People need to know, like we need to know our history just as much as we have, you know, knowledge about black history and the cultural, you know, oppressions of so many people for, you know, hundreds of years. Same thing. It's like this was, you know, not that many years ago that our own country, you know, took this and, you know, put people in camps, you know, like keeping it real, real. And what's happening right now at the borders as well is just as ridiculous and discriminatory. So, yeah. Let's let's shift our history, <laughs> shall we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
shifting the whole gears. And thank you for sharing all of that. Doing what you do, kind of what brings you the most happiness now uh, compared to maybe when you first started out here in LA in your field? When I first started out, I was like, oh my God. (laughs) I was (laughs) like, what would bring me joy was much more externalized. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God, somebody just saw something I did and they said I was good or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, that whether that kind of external validation. Right. And I, not that I don't need that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that everybody loves that, but I don't need it Mm -hmm. as much. You know what I mean? I, I get a lot of joy in the work itself. It's, it's so fun. Mm. Um, all there's like no part of it. That's not fun for me. That's amazing. You know, from like preparing a part to being on set to sitting in the hair and makeup and like every part of it is really fun. Yeah. Um, even talking about it afterwards with people who are interested, that's fun for me too. So I don't know. I might come to a part that's like, Oh, this sucks. But auditioning is probably the hardest, Mm. but everything else brings me a real deep sense of joy. Just the doing of it. Yeah. I feel like if you're able to really enjoy the craft, if you will, and the process and both like pre and post of it and not necessarily, like you said, need that validation, it makes it so much more about your love and passion for what you're doing. And that's what, I mean, I think that's kind of all what we strive for, right? Is that it's not seeking something outside of yourself or from someone else to be like, oh, I need your stamp of approval in order to get this. You know, similarly, like you said, it's like, you know, winning an award is great, but it's also not like the stopping point for me to be like, I've made it and I'm done. It's kind of like the process itself is such a beautiful thing and I you really enjoy it. And I don't think all actors actually have that. I think there's a lot of people that don't enjoy all the aspects of it and are really, really like, well, this is my career. This is what I do, you know, or they enjoy that small bit of it. So, mm. yeah. Oh, I'm just thinking about that. That makes me so sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But don't you feel that way? Like when an image just like hits mm. and you're like, why this one? I don't know. I just feel like it resonates in my body. Like when it's just the one, like it just. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think the, the crazy thing is that having and feeling the confidence of knowing that like that performance, right. Or that Mm. image or whatever it is for each individual, right. Is the one. And like you said, sometimes it's just like this guttural instinctive feeling and you don't, you can't even explain it, but like that, that is like, wow. Okay. Like I've, I've hit it and I've made, I've made that work and I'm so proud of it and so happy of that. So another question is, and it sounds like you've kind of already gone a little into this, but, you know, what is your work ethic like? Um, You know, being a creative obviously is not easy. And so kind of what does it take for you to really do your work? Um, I know you kind of mentioned like going out for an audition and the kids were kind of distracting you and you're just like, ah, you know, but like, how do you kind of going back to that balance thing? But like, what does your work ethic look like on a like, let's say weekly basis per se? Yeah. I, you know, I'm part of a studio, um, mm. that where we called the Imagine life and, and we work with a, a daily practice, mm. um, that is kind of like the regimen of the studio. And I've been there for five or six years, five years, and I really love it. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's basically, so I work, I work an hour a day on 
different stories that are of interest to me. Um, and, or, you know, if it's, it's something for a show or for, um, an, an audition opportunity or for a class or something, I'm always spend that time just practicing my art, which Mm. is like, looking at the world through this, these other circumstances, these mm-hmm. imaginary circumstances. Yeah. So I have to work out my imagination every day That's or amazing. it starts to atrophy. Yeah. The more you're able to work on that creative and keep your mind in that creative space, the the better you become at it. Like you said, yeah, you can't be, can't have any atrophy come to your, your creative mind. So that's amazing. Yeah. It's tough in LA too, because again, because of the short turnaround that you get. Mm, yeah. Um, like I have to be able to build a world around, I'm trying to think of something I did recently, whatever, you know, within 30, 24 to 36 hours, mm. I have to build, oh, like I auditioned for something a few weeks ago where like I get carjacked with my 17 year old son. Wow. And, you know, so there's this world of like the family and the son and the ex-husband and like, these are all um, like relationships, you can't just take them for granted. You have to really build them, you know? Right. Yeah. I don't, to be honest, I have no clue how you do that because I mean, similarly, you know, you gave the story about like, oh, I'm thinking of a young girl losing a horse, but you know, like you said, all of that, that you just explained in that small clip, right. Is so intense. Like, the mind of a mother who's been divorced and what is that emotional feeling? And then your son is in the car with you, who's a teenager, who you have some kind of obviously relation, but also feeling with. And now there's this carjacker that's kind of like taking, like all of that is so complex. And for you to like go into that mindset and express it, like exactly how it needs to be done is like, once again, bow down to you for being able to do that. And on such short notice. I think that's, what's really hard. Yeah. How long do you, or I guess this is a fun, more fun question. How, what's the shortest time of turnaround you've ever had with like an audition? Oh my God. Like, well, okay. So the first job I ever booked on television, Mm -hmm. I actually went in for a different part. Mm. And then she was like, "Mm, I'm going to have you read this other thing. Can you just go outside for like 15 minutes and then come and then we'll call you back in. Wow. Um, so that was the shortest, I would say. That was yeah. like super short. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that I, I think it's one thing if it's like commercials, right? Because they'll just give you some small sides and you have like one or two lines. It's like, actually, we want you to read for this part. But this was a full part that she it, gave yeah, you. Yeah, it was like four pages. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Holy crap. Wow. That's impressive. Did you book it? <laughs> I, you know, this, okay. So this is, this is a story that's going to touch on a lot of things we've talked about today, but I, Went so I read for that part, mm-hmm. and the casting director was like, "Oh, that was like that was really good." Um, could you? So the girl, because it was a mom part, mm-hmm. the girl I'm casting, because it was like the storyline was like there was this disaster, and then like the girl was separated from her mom, but then like we're reunited or whatever. Mm-hmm. So she was like, "So the girl I'm casting for this, like her last name is like Najuyan or Naguyan or Nag." <laughs> McWine. <laughs> Could you be her mom? <laughs> and I'm so all. Um, <laughs> yes, I could. Wow. Wow. 
That's one of those moments. I could be your mom. Exactly. You were- <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm an actor, so let's let's be real. I could do any of these parts, but the <laughs> fact that you just made it that racist and about that last name is ridiculous. But it was okay. so horrible. Mm. I was just like, what do I say? Yeah. Like, like I wanted to. It's. Nguyen. Yes, exactly. That's First what I was going to say. Yes. <laughs> Pronounce it right. Let's get that Let first me help and foremost. You out. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, I did not. And then they booked me for a different part mm. where the child was not seen. Oh, interesting. Okay. Camera. Got it. Well, you still booked So it, I though, guess so. she decided that I couldn't be mm. little Nguyen's mother. Nguyen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, yeah. But that's Hollywood. I mean, sadly, it really is. I don't know what other way to put it, but hopefully it will change. Hopefully those, you know, casting directors and the people in those rooms will not butcher things and also have respect for like culture. I think that's a huge factor of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It, you know, I remember like my first year here, I have so many stories, but this will be the last one because it's a million, but like I was called back for this role in this pilot and in a, you know, when you go in for a first read, usually it's like you and like a person running the camera and like the casting director. So it's maybe two, maybe three people at the most in a room. And so for the pilot callback, um, it was like the casting directors brought me in in front of all their producers. You know, she introduces me and totally butchers my name. Oh. And in that moment, I was just like, do I say something? Do I not? like, it was like right around the time of like, do you remember the Adina Menzel, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Adela Nazim? Yeah. When, yeah. When, <laughs> who was it? John Travolta was yeah, like, Travolta, called yeah. her Adela Nazim or whatever. And I was just like, I was, so I was totally paralyzed. Mm. Like fi- talk about like fight, flight or freeze. Like I totally froze. Oh no. And I just like lost it. Like I could not like my work was like horrible because I was stuck in this moment of like, I should have said something. I should have told them how to say my name right. Mm. I should have spoken up for myself and I didn't do it. And so then I had like, like all this feeling bad about it. Mm. So. Yeah. No, it's interesting too, because talking about names, you know, your name is Keiko Elizabeth. And do you feel like that coming into the room i mean obviously people see pictures of you and everything you know they they have your your press images but do you ever go into a room or have you ever gone into a room where they thought you were white and then you're kind of like hello and and you're not or has that ever been something that they've misunderstood that's never happened okay i can see like um and that's one of the reasons like i was telling you before we started recording that like I had a bunch of friends who told me to change my name Mm -hmm. when I first moved here. Right. So if anything, I feel like they're probably like, Oh, like you have a double lid. Like, Oh, like I, your hair is kind of textured. Like I kind of thought you'd be more Asian actually Mm. based on your name, um, is probably, and maybe that's just, you know, like nobody's ever said that, but that's just internalized. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Well, and that's what's interesting for me is I am so, 
I'm ethnically ambiguous as it probably can get because I am half Japanese, I'm half white, but living in Los Angeles and especially because I have this facial hair, people think I'm Mexican. Mexican. And even, yeah, and pe- even Mexicans think I'm Mexican and then they start speaking okay. Spanish and this whole mask thing because of the COVID. Oh my gosh. I went to the grocery store the other day and she just was like, she was talking shit about the woman in front of me to, in Spanish, which I couldn't understand. And I was kind of, but I caught some of the words. And I was like, I couldn't take the mask off, but I was like, uh, no, hablo espanol. Like, I don't, I don't know what to say. Like, so sorry, but yeah, because yeah, the the appearance is is so unknown. I get Filipino a lot too. That's like a maybe I'm a Wen or mm-hmm. Naguyan as as a casting director oh likes God. to call. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Um, Naguyan, that's a new one. That's wow. But yeah, I I definitely think that it's funny how those like coding things as simple as your name are so easy for people to get caught up and especially in Hollywood over you know I use um the Japanese character actually for Saki or Zaki which means like to to blossom um as my logo but it when I did it, I was kind of like, oh, are people going to then judge me or and or not hire me because I have this like foreign like symbol on there? And I mean, I even had a friend who said like, I mean, I wouldn't do that because it's kind of like, you know, what does it really mean? And then also, does it look like it's like an Asian restaurant? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, but yes, sadly, those are the prejudice and the things that you're going to kind of come up against being like an Asian American or someone who like represents as, you know, your Asian side, if you will. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I well, mean, I love your logo. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think that, um, I've, I've always kind of felt, and maybe you felt this way as well. Like you said, it's kind of like, am I Asian enough for the Asians? And am I white enough for the white people? And like, I feel like I'm, you're just in between for myself. I'm just like, it's never enough for either side to fully like quote unquote fit in under your racial, you know, profile. Yes. Yeah. I mean, even just like the other day I went to the chiropractor and I'd been there twice. And he was like, what's your name again? And I was like, oh, it's Keiko. And he was like, oh, right. I know why I didn't remember your name because you don't look like a Keiko. Excuse and me? And he was basically, he was a white guy. And he was basically telling me he has like a Chinese girlfriend. So he was basically telling me that like it was, you know, I interpreted it as like, well, it's my fault that my name doesn't match me. And that's why I didn't, rem- That's you know, why he didn't remember my name. And I was just like, dude. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) F off, bro. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. No. And that, yeah, that's like the, that's sadly how a lot of people feel. I mean, a lot of people don't express it that bluntly, but sadly that's kind of like the thing that keeps on being brought up is that like these internalized ideas of what Asian or whatever race you are has to be. And if your name says it, but they don't feel like it fits you, it's like your problem. And I'm like, no, that's your problem. Actually your problem. Yeah. Exactly. Not my yeah. Exactly. And you're <laughs> dating the Chinese woman yes, that looks Chinese, right. but no. Yeah. Ay ay ay. That's crazy. No, I, I I so enjoy this conversation. So thank you so much. Um, what's one thing that you've really learned about yourself uh, from working in this industry? If, ironically enough, after we talked all about all these things, um, but something maybe that you didn't really know coming into it that you were like, oh wow, this is there's this characteristic or thing about me that I've really learned by going into acting. That's such a good question. You have such good questions. 
Um, I think that I, um, something, well, it's, I don't know if it's that I've learned this immutable thing about myself that I've had to like come to accept, but I have, I learned that, um, being quote unquote outgoing in real life, um, in terms of like, I love talking to people and connecting with people in real life Mm -hmm. does not necessarily translate into, um, welcoming a great degree of visibility. Hmm. Like when it comes to like, I have a lot, a little bit more exposure now than I did when I first started out. Like Mm -hmm. I wasn't really ready for that. Oh, wow. Um, and so that was just something I had to learn about myself and I had to learn how to be more public. Right. Like I even just like sharing pictures of myself on Instagram, like all of these things and like receiving, like having a public page, you know, and Mm. receiving comments from people I don't know. And like all that was very sort of new to me and was a shift. I had to like, I had to think about that and open up into that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like no one teaches you. I don't know if you consider yourself to be this, but like a celebrity, if you will, like no one teaches you the ways of like the public eye now having full visibility of you and also then requesting of you things that you would have never had before that. And especially with the advent of social media, it's like on another freaking level. But so how do you kind of navigate that, if you will? Um, practice hmm. and yeah, like relying on people that I trust mm-hmm. to be like, is this something like when I first started when I first opened an Instagram account, I had like a friend who was an, also an actress and mm-hmm. I was like, do we, but she's like younger than me. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, but do people care about this? And she was like, yes, they do. And yeah. I was like, but this seems so stupid. And she was like, no, no, just post it. <laughs> I'm telling you to post it. Just hit post. And so I was like, um, so getting support from people who know you and love you. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just, I mean, I literally was like, people are going to troll me mm. like, because I don't think of myself as a celebrity, but I know that other people do only mm. because they've sent me messages to say so. Wow. <laughs> and um, I just look at people like I, I shouldn't say this because Maybe I don't want everyone to know this, but like I usually respond to all my messages. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Her DMs are open. She said it. Everyone go, go, go. Oh my gosh. No, don't say that on air. No, we'll bleep it that. out. I don't do it anymore, but I used to. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and so like people just message me the craziest stuff, but it just is very, it's much less personal now than it was when I, you just learn to sort of, I don't know. It's this paradox of like separating, but also seeing like separating the sort of persona mm-hmm. from the real person. But then also what, when that, when you do that for yourself, you're able to see that in other people. Right. So now I can see beyond other people's personas to let, mm-hmm. and I try to connect with the real, the actual person, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's kind of doing both things. Absolutely. No, that makes sense. And trust me, I feel like I'm sure you're you've been through this yourself. But coming to Los Angeles, there are a lot of real fake people and a lot of ladder climbing folks. And so, yeah, knowing the persona. Oh my God, that's so true. <laughs> yeah, 
it's it's crazy how many people you maybe start out with. And I think that you were probably in a different position, right? Because you were married, you had kids when you like, or having a kid when you came to LA and started your career. So it's kind of like you're you're probably not as maybe involved in like the the ridiculousness of Hollywood shenanigans. But um, yeah, it's it, I could give you an entire list of people that I've had to cut ties with because of just like lack of real friendship or ability to like yeah. calling me even a colleague. I'm kind of like you're you're not there. So definitely being able to see that from a distance and kind of recognize it, I think, is huge. And especially with social media totally. being so, so predominant. Yeah, absolutely. So. I'm curious, who is your biggest supporter and fan who has helped you like keep going through all of the ups and downs as an actor? Um, I would say my husband. Yes. Is he in the industry? I wanted to ask you. He's that not. He's okay. not. And that's part of it. Okay. And he um I've known him for a really long time. Actually, we went to high school together. Yes. <laughs> high school sweethearts. Totally. We were. And then we um reconnected at our 10-year high school reunion, Alan. Oh my gosh. So, That's amazing. Sorry, but so true. <laughs> Wait, where did you go to high school in SAC? I went I was... to Elk Grove High. Oh, amazing. Elk Grove. Nice. I was a Natomas person. You're pers- just saying that. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. So is is your family or is his family and everyone still in Northern California? Okay. Yeah. Got it. Nice. Anyways, back to the question. So he's your biggest supporter and fan. Sorry. I like totally derailed that. Yeah. Yeah. I think just also like what we were talking about before, like he's known me for so long that mm-hmm. he's like, that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like he could totally call my bullshit, but not in like a mean way. Right. You know? Right. Can I say bullshit? Yeah. You know. can say whatever you want. Okay. And he, he, I don't know. He's just a super generous person and mm. um it helps that he's outside of the industry for me for right. you know there was a period of time where I was like it would be so much easier if I just had a partner who like knew what I was going through and like <laughs> <laughs> yes um and I would see my friends who were married to other actors producers people in the industry who kind of just knew the challenges of that mm-hmm. but no oh, I'm for me, it's better to separate, yeah. to have separate. Yeah. Well, and I think he probably is also grounding for you as well in the sense of, like you said, he'll call you on your bullshit if it's bullshit. Totally. Especially if, you know, I mean, you're working with big name actors and you're doing these big television shows. It's kind of like it can easily go to your head. But having that person that's not only supporting but there to kind of keep you grounded is probably necessary. So Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story. I was working on City on a Hill last season and – um my husband likes to, um, likes cars. He likes mm-hmm. classic cars. Mm-hmm. And so he, um, has like a, a old Ford Bronco. I couldn't tell you what year. All I know is that it's orange. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, so babe, um, Kevin Bacon has a Bronco. I want you to ask him about it. And I was like, oh my God, you're so embarrassing right now. You want me to ask Kevin Bacon about his Bronco? Oh my God, and so, so I did. Of course. <laughs> and he was like, and he was like, yeah, I'll text him a picture. What's his number? So he starts texting back and forth with my husband oh, about the Bronco. My gosh. And then like we leave, we're done. And then I call my husband. And I'm like, what? What did Kevin Bacon text to you? Like, tell me what he said. And he goes, um, 
it was a conversation between Bronco lovers and you don't qualify. (laughs) 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 So to this day, I have no idea like what they were texting about regarding their fucking Broncos. That's so. amazing. I love that. It's a, you like gave me the perfect segue too. Cause I wanted to ask you how it was working with Kevin, but like the fact that it's actually a better story that your husband is like texting with him about their Ford Broncos. Like, Oh my okay. God. I know. So hilarious. That's so good. Yeah. I mean, car, car life in general is a huge thing. So if you're not in it, th- then you can like move to the side. Cause I'm the same way. I'm like, I-, I don't know. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I, don't know. I have no clue. Yeah. And they're like, see ya. And I'm like, okay, bye. I, yeah. I so don't good. care. I don't even want to be in it. I'm Ex- all. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I get to work with him on every day. Okay. Like we work together. That's more important than you and your damn Bronco. Okay. I know. Step to the side. Oh, right. So but good. being outside the industry, he's like, no, it's not. <laughs> I texted with him about my Bronco. That is like the most important conversation. Yeah. It's much more meaningful than your damn acting career. Right. Wow. Right. I love it. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, kind of, you know, COVID-19 obviously affected everyone around the world in all types of ways. But uh, what was kind of the one thing that really kept you going in like that entire time of 2020? But then ultimately, like, which is crazy. We're about to go into September of 2021, but kind of what has really kept you going, not only career wise, but just like in general, being able to like stay on this path, if you will. Yeah. I was lucky enough to be in the middle of a a contract of a job, Mm. um, when, when COVID hit. So, um, I was, um, working on city on a hill at the time Mm -hmm. and we, my contract was for seven episodes and we'd only done two and a half. Oh, wow. So, um, I knew that we were going to, I just knew that I had something to go back to. And that was just a huge boost. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I didn't have, there was really dark days. I remember the end of June for some reason. Hmm. I just like, I feel like back then everybody in the industry was like July in July, everything's going to go back. It's going to be like back to normal. And then we got to like the end of June and it started to get real bad. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, it's never going to go back. It's just going to be horrible for the rest of our lives. (laughs) It was super dramatic about it. End of June was bad. Um, But it did help and that to have something to work on and, Mm. you know, was actually um, a bit of a a blessing for me work-wise because when I was cast on the show – like it was cast on a Monday and I was on the plane to Boston on a Thursday Wow! and shooting the following Monday. So I just didn't have a lot of like, I'm a slow person. I work slow. I like to take my time and, and imagine and create slowly. And so it was nice to have that break to, to do that. And mm. then when we came back to shooting last October, I was just felt really ready and amazing present and grateful, super grateful. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I think that's, that definitely, I feel that, that, yeah, the ups and downs of COVID were crazy, but definitely having something to focus on, I think is so much more like appealing, but also just like easier to kind of like put your mind at ease and to, to keep on going forward, even during the craziness of it all. Yeah. I mean, I know plenty of people, I'm sure you do too, who like, who left, Yeah, who left the industry, who moved back to their hometowns and yeah. They're doing other things now. Yeah, absolutely. 
great segue. Um, you know, I think that the name of this podcast, and I've said it multiple times on each episode, but, you know, is the creative lotus because the lotus flower is, you know, there's no mud, there's no beautiful flower, right? Like through all that's the crap that's going on underneath the water and the muck and the, the mire, if you will, there's this beautiful flower that not only blooms, but it also seeds at the same time. So it's like the simultaneity of like one after the other. And so in Buddhism, we talk about kind of like the simultaneity of cause and effect. And so I would like to ask each guest kind of like, what is your lotus blossom moment? Like what struggles or crap under the water have you had to go through in order to kind of really see your success in your creative field? So as an actor, um, kind of what has been like that, that lotus blossom moment for you that maybe people don't see under the water, if you will. Are you asking about the flower or the mud? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want to share, both. <laughs> I, when I, um, I would say sort of my moment, if I, the, the lotus moment, mm-hmm. um, when I booked City on a Hill right, right before COVID, mm-hmm. And the reason is because, um, you know, I, I had a conversation with the showrunner over Skype, mm. um, after I sent in my audition and, um, he, the part, um, the part was a woman who was born in Manzanar mm. and, um, which was one of the Japanese, um, incarceration camps in world war two. Right. And, so he asked me about that in the interview and we had this like really beautiful conversation about my connection to that experience and his connection to that experience. Um, and you know, why it was, why this particular character was important to him. And, and it was just this moment of like, it was like you said, the simultaneity of this is my family's past of like my suffering that even happened before I was born. Mm-hmm that I have inherited along with, you know, the creative struggles and the industry struggles. And it was just like all present in this one moment. Mm. Um, and then, you know, when he was like, well, I'm going to call casting right now. We'll see you in Boston. And it was just like this beautiful, it did have that feeling to it where all of these different moments, I was experiencing them all at once. Mm. Amazing. That's such a beautiful story. That's incredible. Um, yeah, no, I think that those moments are kind of like the not gratification, but it's kind of like, wow, you feel so in rhythm maybe with the universe, right? Like mm-hmm. the, you're, you're really there. So I love that. Do you have kind of a faith or something that's kind of like kept you going through like all of the ups and downs throughout your entire career, but even through this crazy pandemic that we are still in? I don't have like a religious faith mm-hmm. um, that I call that I ascribe to like a doctrine or anything like that. Um, I I wish that I did. There's times when I wish that I did, mm. that I wish that I had a stronger, but then I just can never muster it up. Like there's always too many barriers. Like the never mind. We won't go into religion in this conversation. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I I do feel that I'm in touch with the, the life force, the mm-hmm. spirit, the animating spirit mm-hmm. of our, of life that undergirds everything. Mm-hmm. I do feel like I'm in touch with that. And that brings a lot of comfort. Amazing. Yeah. 
No, for me, yeah. The reason, the other reason why I kind of like came across or created, I should say, um, this podcast is because, you know, I was born into this Buddhist organization called the SGI. And so I stopped practicing for like 12 years, like all throughout college and afterwards. And then like in the last five years have really kind of really needed it. But not only that, really kind of found it. And yeah, the the idea of cause and effect or the simultaneity of this lotus flower is really kind of comes from that. And so I find that it's such a a life rhythm of the of the universe and myself being in it to stay kind of on track. So that's why I'm always curious kind of with guests is that, you know, what is something and it, you know, whatever religion or spirituality or however you may feel, I feel like something, right, is kind of propelling us forward. And maybe maybe not. Maybe some people are just kind of like there. But I find that creatives in general tend to really have something that kind of keeps them going in that regard. Um, yeah. Yeah. I find for me also it's the tension between having that like connection that faith, I guess, is really the only word, mm-hmm. but also that um, the feeling of like, the inherent mystery. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I know there's something, but it's also very mysterious. And I don't know if I'm ever going to know, but I'm always going to be seeking in that direction. Mm-hmm. That tension I really like. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. We talk about the mystic law is kind of what we talk about in Buddhism, the mystic law of cause and effect. So it's kind of like, there is that mysticism to it, kind of like the unknown because it is the entire universe, but there's also such a beauty in that, right? Because understanding it, maybe we can't fully understand it, but understanding our part in that, I think is what's uh, really kind of necessary, right? Uh, to be able to continue on. So do Buddhists believe in death, like destiny, like that each person has like a part? Like when you, when you said that, that's what made me think of. Yeah. The final destiny. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I think that it's not necessarily a destiny, but more of kind of a mission in this life, if that makes sense. Mm. Because we also believe in like reincarnation, right? Like life is eternal. So that this is not just a one-off, right? But rather that like karmically you've been pulled through kind of the whole, these many lives, right? And this life you're living now. And so, yeah, you have a mission or a purpose in this life. And, you know, once that ceases to exist, then like you're taking whatever karma or karma that you've transformed in this life and kind of moving it to into that next. So it's a hard thing to understand. I mean, obviously, because none of us have really gone through death and then like, I remember all of that. Or maybe some people have. I have not met them. But I think that (laughs) (laughs) but having purpose and kind of a mission or, you know, I think is necessary, you know, because it kind of doesn't make it so you're just kind of on this like linear or nonlinear path, but rather like, okay, like I have purpose, right? And especially as creatives, I feel like our purpose is to bring, you know, life, if you will, to to people, whether that's the masses or in our own community or whatever it may be. And so for me, it's really kind of given me the broader eyed version of kind of my own capacity, I guess, and believing in that as well, which has been really great. So yeah. It's funny that you talk about faith. So beautiful. Oh, thank you. I think it's so funny to talk about faith, though, because I used to think that was like a really nasty word. I, th- I thought it was like only for Christians. And so I, I bought this little like stupid little coin pouch that like for quarters to go do laundry with. And I like said faith on it. And I was like, ew, I don't want this thing. And then I realized yeah. that like <laughs> I have to have faith in Buddhism as well. Like it doesn't matter. Like faith is faith. It doesn't yeah. matter what you believe in. It's it's the belief of. So I'm like, okay, get over myself and let's move forward. So, Yeah. 
Yeah. Too funny. I love it. Yeah. I have this ring that says, um, that I got that says, that has the word live on it. It's mm. funny that you said that the mission of artists is to bring more life to people. Mm. And I got it because every time I look at it, I remind, like I, I ask myself, like, how can I bring more life into this moment mm. that I'm in? That's why I wear it. I love that. Remind myself. It's That's funny beautiful. that you said that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Definitely bring more life to people and joy. So, so I just have a few more questions. I'm uh, just curious, kind of what are some goals that you have maybe for this next year or even like looking to the future? So three, five, even 10 years from now, obviously you have a family of your own. So kind of, you know, I'm sure that there's, you know, goals or kind of where you see yourself uh, with them as well. I do have goals. I don't know why I feel suddenly shy about sharing my goals. Um, do you ever feel that way? Like you're yes. like, oh God, if I share them publicly and then they don't happen, that's right. like embarrassing somehow. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I have a lot of um, work that I still want to do as an actor. Mm-hmm. And by work, I don't mean like improving, but like just stories that are inside me, right. women that I, I want other people to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, and I would love for you know, to invite in more and more visibility so that more and more people can see those women and meet those women mm-hmm. that are inside of me. And, and then I also like have, you know, I want to finish the documentary. I want to, um, like produce stories that I think need to be told. Mm-hmm. Like I really, um, love like what Daniel day Kim, like his, how he has his production company and, you know, his mm-hmm. an overall deal with, he gets Warner brothers and then he like produces shows that he wants. He's not even in all those shows. Right. I mean, I would want to be in the shows, but like, um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but I would love to sort of move into that kind of um, expanded storytelling type of role. Mm. I hope my kids grow up finding their place, finding mm. their mission. I know it's going to be very different than mine. Yeah. Just I I want to I want to enjoy too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like not suffer so much like creativity can sometimes feel very <sighs> there is like a feeling of <sighs> like when you're making something that like is a natural resistance or mm, I don't know what the word is to describe that feeling of like uh, angst of like mm. when you're making something new I think it's natural mm-hmm. and that is actually I like that hmm the angst. Yeah. The process. That's, yeah. The process. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to go through the process and enjoying that, even the angsty part of it and the, the quote unquote suffering, if you will, or the, that push that, you know, kind of puts us in that uncomfortable zone is, is wonderful. You know, that's something. Yeah. I hate that word. I hated to use that word. Cause it's not like, it's not like suffering, like the Afghanis are suffering. It's not course, like, re- yeah. it's not like real traumatic suffering, but it is a, it's a, not like rainbows and sunshine all the time is what I meant, you know? Right. Yeah. That's a hundred percent on the point. It's not, it's not all just love and beauty and cause a lot of people, right. The, all they see is the final product. So they don't see the process itself. And that's kind of something only creatives kind of go through and the team that they work with go through, but not necessarily everyone. The viewer is not seeing that. So yeah, it's not always easy. So I totally can relate. Um, so this is a fun little question. What would you say to your future self, say 15 years from now? So now, yourself now, talking to your future self, what would you say? Let that shit go. 
<laughs> Liv, drop the mic. She's done. She's, like That's it. Let that shit go. I love it. Oh, my God. You want to do it eventually, so just do it now. Just let it go. It's not as big of a deal as you think. Fan-freaking-tastic. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. Because I can, like, hold on to things and, like, huh, huh, you know. Yeah. ruminate and talk and no no baby let it go there we go let it go let it go be okay yes 100 percent. well thank you so much where can people find you uh and if they'd like to follow your work where can you where can we send them yeah um i am on instagram mm-hmm. the most i think i have a twitter and i think my twitter says like go to instagram it's funner there <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's I'm Keiko at I'm Keiko is my handle. I love it. Fantastic. And is there a website that we can check out more of your work as well? Yeah, you can go to it's just my name. That is the one thing about having an unusual name is that like nobody else wants your domain. Uh, is this KeikoElizabeth.com? I love it. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That's pretty much it for me. So this has been incredible getting to know you better and hearing your story and sharing so much and opening up. So really appreciate it. Same. Yeah. And I look so forward to fun. Yeah. Look forward to seeing all the new projects and everything else you have coming out and um, yeah, going along the ride with you. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. Hello, Creative Lotus family. I want to give a huge thank you to Keiko Elizabeth for this week's interview. It was amazing going in-depth into some really serious issues, as well as having some fun laughs and giggles along the way. This week's Buddhist quote of the day is, the real struggle in life is with ourselves. The true secret of success is the refusal to give up, the refusal to fail. It lies in the struggle to win the battle against one's own weaknesses by Daisaku Ikeda. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Creative Lotus Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Zaki. Please go ahead and subscribe, rate us, and write a review. And follow me at Alan Zaki on social media. I look forward to having more amazing creative dialogues on the next episode.